Hey, this is Jim, pastor of Decided Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. We hope the sermon you're about to hear just blesses your heart and really encourages you. If you don't mind, subscribe. That way you'll get instant notifications every time a sermon is uploaded. And by all means, if you're feeling led to give, click on the giving link and there'll be more directions to follow. God bless. Enjoy the message. Amen. Thank you, Dylan. Are we glad we didn't have the tent service today, this week of all weeks? Amen. I was reminded of that. God said, I'll show you something. Uh, This is what it really looks like to rain at 10 a.m. on a Sunday. So I'm so grateful that we had a wonderful, awesome tent service. Who came to that last week? Tent service? All right. Most of the hands in here. Amen. We had a good time. Thank you for everybody who pulled that off. We got a guest speaker today over here, Clinton Edwards. You can come on up. Clinton, let me just talk about Clinton for a second and his wife, Victoria. They came to our church during COVID, and uh, they have been leading for about three or four years. Uh, They jumped right in. The very first thing, they actually cleaned the church before they ever came to a service. That shows you their heart right there. They were scrubbing the toilets before they ever knew what was up about Decided Church. Um, So they plugged right in. I love their servant's heart, and you know how they exhibit that best is they lead up our deacon team. We call them the ministry team here at Decided Church. There's about 14 or 15 couples that split up the entire membership of our church and make sure that you're doing okay, that you have what you need, that you're growing spiritually, that you're being uh, challenged in your faith. And these two right here, Clinton and Vic, they lead up all of the ministry team. So thank you guys for how you lead. Thank you for what you're going to share this morning. We got a cool series about cosmic geography and Clinton loves history. So y'all give him a warm welcome, make him feel at home. My man, Clinton Edwards, take it away. All right. What's going on, everybody? So like Jim said, uh, my name is Clinton Edwards. My wife, Victoria, is right here. Uh, We have three kids, Maggie, Zeke, and Hannah. They all look exactly the same. So like it's real easy to find them. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to everyone for last week. So I know a lot of you guys probably heard that a kid got allergic reaction to ant bites last week. That was Zeke. Uh, (laughs) We found out he has like an anaphylaxis level reaction to ant bites. So to everybody that like helped Victoria. So I was on shift. Like I'm a firefighter. So I was completely gone other side of Columbia. So it's already like not a fun situation when kids have allergic reactions. But then being in one where you're like, that's cool. I'll be there in an hour. Like that's not something that feels good as a parent so for everyone that like helped Vic with getting him to the hospital and watching Maggie and Hannah like thank you so much that was super cool so like Jim said I love history um I actually went to USC for an undergraduate degree in history like I know I'm a firefighter now but like (laughs) so like when he told me about the series I was super excited because like hey man I get to prove that I didn't waste four years of my life like this is cool like (laughs) and so uh also, shameless plug, if you find this interesting, they make an archaeological, like, Bible. So it, it's a textbook. It's, it's a textbook in all reality. But, uh, so yeah, like, <laughs> I, uh, I really hope, like, through the series, I was excited about it because there's so much that we just miss. Like, we look at everything in a very small context, whether it's just a couple of verses or heading at a time or just a couple of year period, and we miss, like, the themes that go throughout the Bible and just history as a whole, like, everything that goes on. And so Jim started off last week talking about you know, uh, everything local to this area with the Dutch coming in. And we're going to dive deeper into an actual location in the Bible today. 
And like I said, my mission is really for you guys to sit back and be like, man, that was cool. Like if I get one person to leave and be like, man, history is not terrible. Like that's a win in my book. Like it really shows I'm doing something. Um, but we're gonna take a quick poll. Okay. So who, when you read your Bible, you get to like some place you've never heard of before and you're like, man, I'm going to look that up. That's super interesting. Okay. Now who reads that name and like, man, I don't know how to pronounce that. And they just keep going. Yeah. Like they just turn the page. Yeah. All right. So, so I'm going to pray us in and we're going to, I'm going to kind of show why it's important that we keep going through. So dear God, I just pray for everybody here today, Lord, that we all just have uh, open hearts and minds, Lord, that we're able to just leave whatever we came with at the door just so we can focus in on you and your word and learn more about you. I pray that I'm an open vessel up here. And if you put something on me, I take it and don't worry about it. And that just one person leaves today with some deeper understanding and love for you, Lord. And just thank you for everything you do. And your name we pray. Amen. All right. So we're going to jump into Jeremiah 50, chapter, chapter 50, verse 19. And I will bring Israel again to his habitations, and he shall feed on Carmel and Bashan, and his soul shall be satisfied upon Mount Ephraim and Gilead. All right. Another question. Who knows why any of those places are important? They're in the Bible. Yeah, that's, that's a better answer than I got first service right there. Like, yeah, one for one. You guys are rocking it. So if you look into these places, they're super cool and important. And like Jeremiah is not just throwing out the random places he sees around him. So Ephraim is actually where Deborah, the judge, was born. We see in Gilead, that's where Gideon fought the Midianites. And it's also where Elijah was born. And then Bashan is known for its rich pastures. Actually, in the Roman Empire, becomes the richest pasture land in all of the Roman Empire and has the greatest granaries in all of the Roman Empire. And then Mount Carmel is actually, like, translates to literally mean the vineyard of God. Like, it is set aside and different. And so, like, with that context, like, we see what Jeremiah was meaning. Like, feed in the vineyard of God and the richest of pastors and let your soul be satisfied like Deborah, Gideon's, and Elijah's. And, like, that's a completely different verse. Like, it means way more. And that's true for tons of the Bible. And so today we're, we're really going to focus in on Mount Carmel, and I hope that, like, that really piques some people's interest. So, like, we got one more activity for everybody. Everybody say Carmel. Not Carmel. Not the candy. It's like Car, K-A-R-M-E-L. Carmel, not Carmel. Not Caramel. Yeah. All right. So Mount Carmel is a, it's a mountain range. It's not one place. It's not one single mountain. It's a range. Uh, it's about 25 miles long, five miles wide, 120-ish square miles. You can go through some of the pictures of it. It's about the size of Columbia, if we're honest. Columbia is 137 square miles. So like we could think of how Columbia is dramatically different in its geography, and it's the same here. So it's got, in some of the pictures you'll see like the rich pasture lands, the mountains, it's considered a forest area. I mean, it's a forest for the Middle East. So, like, take that context. Like, it's not what we think of. But it does have tons of oak trees, and it's got laurel trees throughout it. Huge cave systems, the rich pasture lands. There's a city. Uh, it's Haifa. And it's actually the third largest city in all of Israel. Like, the place is, the place is just absolutely beautiful. And it's considered a national park area in Israel. It's a World Heritage Site because of the archaeological digs there. And it's a UNESCO Biosphere Reserve, 
which is the United Nations Education, Scientific, and Cultural Organization. So, like, it's really cool because as Christians, we're like, this is set apart. This is mentioned throughout the Bible. We should have a reverence to it. But the entire world also has that same reverence. Like, even non-Christian communities are like, there's something special here that we need to protect. And so it's really easy to see the beauty. Like, it's a gorgeous place. And that wasn't lost on any of the authors in the Bible either. So in Song of Solomon, chapter 7, it's the very famous uh, chapter about the husband describing his bride, and he uses a bunch of nature to describe her. And he refers to her, you can go to uh, chapter 7, verse 5. It says, your head crowns you like Mount Carmel. Your head is like a purple cloth that kings could be held captive in your tresses. So, like, of all the places, I mean, I know, describing someone's head as a mountain is weird. Like, that's not something I'm going to tell Victoria. Like, she's not going to, like, like, thanks. That's a good one right there. But, like, of all the places to describe, like, something high and set apart, like, this is the mountain range that was picked. Yeah. And it's not lost throughout the Bible. Uh, in Second Chronicles, there's a story about King uh, Uzzikai, and he was a northern king, and he's described as loving agriculture. Like, that's his random blip. Like, he loved agriculture. And his vineyards were at this mountain. So again, Northern King had all the money he could ever want, could do anything with any land, and this is where he picks to plant his vineyard for him to walk through and really enjoy nature. But just because it's got all this beauty, we also see it start to be used in the Bible as a sign of the end times. It's like a reminder for the minor prophets that, you know, we see this beauty, but when God's justice comes, this beauty is going to go away. And it's used quite a ton with destruction. And so we see in Amos, Amos specifically is about the day of the Lord coming, about this God's justice coming and pouring out on all of Israel. A lot of ancient Israelites would have viewed the day of the Lord as coming to save them and punish the rest of the world. And Amos is like, no, we're not as great as we think we are. And it literally starts out in uh, Amos chapter one, verse two. It says, the Lord roars from Zion, thunders from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherd dry up, and the top of Carmel withers. And then later on in chapter 9, he says, they hide themselves on top of Carmel, and from there I will track them down and seize them. So even though there's this great beauty to it, we see the destruction. We see God saying he's coming down to this mountain to go through this cave system to find people. And it, it shows this other imagery with it. And this theme continues, where in the Minor Prophets, it, the mountains used a lot as like a personification of Israel's spiritual condition. We see in Isaiah, again, another book where there's a lot of talk of the day of the Lord coming. And honestly, Isaiah is begging for God's uh, grace in the sense of a, a quick destruction of Israel. He knows Israel's going to get there, so he just wants it to be fast. And he says, the land mourns and languishes. Lebanon is confounded and withers away. Sharon is like a desert. Bashan and Carmel are stripped bare. And just like he's saying that this land is going to be stripped bare, he recognizes that Israel is also just spiritually corrupt at the same time. So those are some like, there's tons of verses throughout the Bible about Mount Carmel. Those are some random ones. There's two major stories with it. They're very interesting and need a lot of context. So that's really what we're going to focus on now. So we'll start in 2 Kings uh, chapter 2, verses 23 and 25. If you guys haven't heard the story before, you're in for a treat. So, from there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and he was walking up the path, and some small boys came out of the city, harassing him, chanting, go up, Baldy, go up. 
He turned around and looked at them, cursed them in the name of the Lord, and two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 children. And from there, he went to Mount Carmel. Like, so, pretty simple. Like, we don't make fun of bald people. That's a story. Let's just leave it. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot going on here. So, when you go back to the beginning of this chapter, it's the story of Elijah, who was Elisha's mentor, when he gets sucked into heaven in a whirlwind. Uh, and there's tons of people around to witness it, and they didn't believe it. They didn't believe that's what happened. They thought to themselves, they watched this man get sucked up out of the ground into the sky, and they're like, oh, man, a tornado picked him up. It's going to drop him off in Jericho or something. And so they just scour everywhere looking for him. But, of course, as we know, he wasn't there. He was gone to be with God in heaven. But as he's going up, his mantle falls, which is like a cloak, basically. And a prophet's mantle was like a super sacred item. It would be passed down and very recognizable. Elijah was already very recognizable. Not a lot of people liked him made a lot of people really mad. And so when Elisha would wear his mantle, everybody would know he was the prophet. Everybody would know what was going on. And so we see these kids making fun of him to go up the same way that Elijah went up before him because they didn't believe it. And like I said, nobody liked the prophets. Like that's how many people here really like it when someone nags them that they're messing up all the time. And like that was the prophet's role in Israel was to remind everybody like you have strayed from God. So they weren't well liked. Okay, sidebar, I, I did some research on the bears because, like I said, I can't let my history degree go to waste. You can put up the picture of the bear. So it's a Syrian bear. If anybody knows anything about bears, which I doubt you do, um, that would have lived on this mountain range. Four to 600 pounds range. It's really small for a bear. Um, polar bears get up to 1,500 pounds. In perspective, a polar bear on all fours is as tall as Victoria was over here. So, like, this bear is tiny compared to it. This bear is also actually famous. Uh, it's the only bear ever conscripted into the military, the Polish army. Uh, he rose to the rank of corporal, and he would load artillery rounds. His name is Vocek. So. <laughs> and I brought all that up to kind of show that, like, a lot of the time we look at the Bible and we're like, man, it's kind of dry, it's kind of boring. Like, a lot of people read it to check the box and be like, I read my Bible today. But it's incredibly interesting. Like, if you want it to be boring, it's going to be boring. But if you want it to be, like, a rich, interesting text, like, it will blow your mind and you will find depth to stuff that you never thought of. I didn't think when looking into a mountain I was going to find a Polish military bear that loaded cannons. Like, that's crazy. But, like, that's how interesting this book can be, that it can lead us through those pathways. So the second story we're going to look at is possibly the most famous story with Mount Carmel. Um, and it's from 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to do about verse 20 to verse 40, I believe. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal... Follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophet are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are the chosen bull for themselves. Cut it into pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. 
I will prepare the other and place it on the wood and not light the fire. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh, the God who answers with fire. He is God. All the people answered, that sounds good. Then Elijah said to the prophet Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourself one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull, gave him, prepared him, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound, no one answered. And they danced, hobbling around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah mocked them and shouted loudly, shout loudly, he's God. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road. Or perhaps he's sleeping and wake him up. They shouted loudly, cut themselves with knives and spears, according to their customs, until blood gushed over them. All afternoon, they kept raving until the offering of the evening, the evening sacrifice, but there was no sound, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to the people, come near me. So all the people approached. He repaired the Lord's altar that had been torn down. Elijah took two, 12 stones, according to the number of tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold about four gallons. Next, he arranged the wood, cut the bull, placed it on the wood, filled four water pots with water, and poured over the offering to be burnt on the wood. Then he said a second time. They did it a second time. And he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So water ran all around the altar, and it even filled the trench with water. At the time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, today let it be known you are God in Israel. I am your servant, and that your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so these people will know that you, Yahweh, are God, and you have turned their hearts back. Then Yahweh's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell face down and said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Then Elijah ordered, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them down to White Kingston and slaughtered them there. Cool. Crazy story. Fire comes out of the sky, burns so hot, it turns stones into dust. My firefighter, that's really hot. Like, that's really hot. So we look at this, and often we've, we always focus on the insults because that's just who we are as people, and we're like, that's pretty funny. Like, Elijah was just mocking them. Uh, some translations even say that uh, he said that their God might be in the bathroom um, just to, like, you know, further jab them. But as funny as that is, like, that's not an insane thought for Canaanite culture. So in Canaanite culture, all the gods had the same attributes as man. So they believed that though their gods were immortal, they still had to eat and go to the bathroom and sleep. And, you know, otherwise I guess they would die. Like it's really paradoxical there. Like they have to do these things to live, but they're also the immortal gods. And so it makes a lot of sense knowing that why throughout the entire Old Testament, we see our gods say that don't mix with the Canaanites. Like we can't intermingle with them because at its core, nothing makes sense. Like we view it as we are made in God's image. And very clear, the Canaanites view that the gods are made in their images. 
And so it makes sense why these two groups cannot intermingle because they just disagree fundamentally. So like, when looking at both of those stories, Mount Carmel is completely different. It's not this beautiful land. It's not this prophetic image of the destruction to come, the day of the Lord coming. But it's dangerous. It's scary. I mean, we're talking about a mountain where if the bears aren't mauling your kids, there's a crazy cult running around that practices child sacrifice. Like, it's not a place to raise a family or be anywhere close to. But even in that danger, we see how God comes out and shows his justice and how he's, in his time, he will deliver the justice that's coming. And so a lot of the time we refer to the Bible as like a living text, which sounds weird, like it's a book, so it's obviously not living. But it's one of those where like the more we study the Bible and understand about it, the deeper it gets, the more meaning there is, the more beautiful the imagery is. And it's true in this entire story. Like learning about Mount Carmel changes how I read about it. I know the Kaluchis just got back from Israel, and they can tell you, like being in Israel and seeing these locations changes how you read these stories. Like it's not just a story anymore. Like it's real. Like I stood at that place, you know. And Mount Carmel, it's the same. Like like I said, studying about it really depth, like adds depth to it. But all throughout history, even outside the Bible, it's there. It was a famous battle site in Egyptian wars, all the way up to World War I because of these caves and tunnels. Like it's constantly referenced in secular history. And it just has massive importance in the world. And it just reminded me when studying it about Decided's logo, like how we got our logo. So I'm sure everybody's heard the story before, but we'll go through it again. It's a lion because we love C.S. Lewis and the Chronicles of Narnia. That's just, it's what it is. So in the Chronicles of Narnia, there's this scene where Susan's talking to Mr. Beaver, and she's asking about Aslan and asks him if he's safe. And Mr. Beaver, like, jokingly replies, like, no, he's not safe, but he is good. He's like, he's a lion. He's not, lions are not safe. And that's the same thing with Mount Carmel. Like, when we really think about it, it's not a safe place. It's dangerous. There's bears mauling kids and a crazy colt running around. But it is a good place of justice. It's a place that we see God's justice. And we also see the beauty of the world that he's created. And we have this really bad habit when we read the Bible that we look at it like Old Testament, New Testament, like a B.C., A.D., like before Christ, after death kind of thing. And Mount Carmel is one of those instances that really defines that and breaks that completely. Because in studying about a mountain, just a landscape, we start to find these attributes of Jesus in it. Like it's good and it's just and it's scary and it's dangerous. It's beautiful. And it reminded me of when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem at Passover in Luke. We see everybody's laying down the palm branches before him and the Pharisees are coming up and saying, tell them to stop. Tell them to stop saying you're the Messiah. You have the power. And he says, if I tell them to stop, the stones will cry out. And like, that's what we just saw right here was this mountain, which is a stone. That's what it is at its core is still crying out about Jesus. All right, so I have one last thought before we pray out. And I really wanted to challenge you guys and like resonate with you this week. So in the Old Testament, we have the Shema. It's Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And it's what, in Jewish culture, they'd wake up every day and they would say it, and they would teach it to their children, and they would say it before they go to sleep. And it's, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God 
with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. So later we see Jesus being tested by the Pharisees, and they ask him, what's the most important commandment? They're trying to trap him, obviously. And he quotes the Shema, but he adds something to it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind, and your strength. It's like the question I want to leave you guys with. If Jesus is calling us to love God with all of our mind, but we're not willing to look into these beautiful places that he's written the story about, or we're not really willing to look at the footnotes and the cross-references, or just figure out how to say the names of some of these places in the Bible, like, are we really truly loving God with all of our mind? If we're willing to just pass over that, because like, man, history sucks. I hated that subject. Like, are we really doing what God commands us to, to love him with all of our mind? And it's the funny thing, because, you know, God's outside of time. So when I read that part of the Shema with all your mind and think of it in that context, like, I can't help but think that, like, he knew what was going to happen. Like, one day on the other side of the world, we'd be reading his story and have no idea what these places look like. It's used as a symbol of beauty. But before I Googled these pictures, I had no idea what it looked like. I had no idea its size or the caves. I didn't know what the bears looked like or anything. It's almost like he was like, hey, I want you to pursue further knowledge so you could truly understand what this book is about and why this is the greatest story ever written. Dear God, I just, I just pray that this week that you inspire all of us, Lord, that we aren't just here to check a box. You know, I got to do my reading plan this week so I can finish it on time, but I'm truly about making sure I understand and I fully know what, what your story is, why it's so beautiful and why you wrote it for us, God. I pray that you just charge us all to be like highly educated individuals in your word for the purpose that when you put someone in front of us, we can not only educate them on the Bible, but prove to them that it's not a boring, old, outdated book, God, but it is that living text that is always interesting and always has something to give us in every situation, Lord. And I just pray for that, that discipline to reach over all of us this week as we go throughout our week. And just thank you for everything you do. In your name we pray. Amen.